Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It's a little weird being in a dimmer sort of light. We'll make do. We had a flickering bulb earlier, and we're not going to, it'll be very distracting. We're going to continue through chapter 11. Last week, I preached on the first six verses in which we are called to think differently from the world. That when we labor for the work of Christ, there is no risk. And though we do not always know the fruit of our labors, there is no labor of word and service that ever comes back void, but is used by Christ to accomplish his will. Solomon continues to anticipate perhaps fear and trepidation, stepping out in faith, especially among the young, in light of what is to come. And so this sermon particularly applies to the young, thinking teenagers, those of you who are about to step out into new avenues of life. This is quite timely. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, just two verses, seven, I'm sorry, seven through ten, not two verses, but verses seven through ten. Truly, the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Rejoice, O young man or woman, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we ask that you might give to us wisdom beyond measure, that beyond even our peers, that we would long for the good portion, that we would see that we were made for eternity, that we bear it in our very hearts. And so may we find contentment, not merely in the stuff of this world, but the one who made all things, make us a people whose hearts have within them pathways to Zion. Help us to love you, to walk with you all of our days in faithfulness. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. I've said this before, and I'll repeat it. The book of Ecclesiastes is very much like a series of conversations that you have even with your own children or the young in your church or maybe in a school, anywhere where wisdom is needed to be imparted. And it preaches well enough, but it really reads and feels like a kind of heart-to-heart from one teacher to a student. A small classroom would benefit, maybe discussion after. The book of Ecclesiastes is how we are not only live in this world under the sun, whether it is plagued by sin or not, it is. There are things that are true of this life in part because of sin and in part simply because we are creatures. We are not the creator. We are finite because our lives are mist and uh, vapor or vanity. Let us remember that vanity, hevel, is a Hebrew word that doesn't mean waste but temporariness. 
So when it says youth is vanity, Solomon is not some sort of crotchety old man who's going, you guys. He's saying youth is fast. It's quick. It's over before you know it. You graduate from high school, and all of a sudden you got to get a job because you got to pay insurance. you got to pay rent. you got to do all these things, and you look back and go, where did my childhood go? I look back and go, where would my 30s go? Soon enough, I look back and go, where the 40s? Where, where is it all going? And it just, it feels as though it is just faster, at a, at a speedier clip, time just falls off the edge. How are we to live in a world in which it's not all good news, or at least easy news? Well, we need to remember that God rules and reigns, that he sits upon the throne above the sun. We are under the sun. And so we are to live in light of the glorious promises of God, not merely by what we see, but we are to judge by the word that has been given to us. And so this evening, we need to talk about the easy times and the hard times. And then we need to talk about how we're not to waste our youth our youth. And so that's what I want to talk about. The first point, the light and the dark. And the second point, start while you're young. Start while you're young. Let's look at this first point this evening, the light and the dark. He says here at the very beginning, truly the light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, Yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is mist, it's vapor, it's fast approaching, it is quickly gone. Now there walks among us many false prophets, and there exists in our midst those who would say that sickness, misery, general bad times are all emanations of our not having enough faith. These are the health and wealth prosperity gospel people. I don't think we can count any of those in our number. But these health and wealth prosperity gospel types are not unique to our age. Their cancerous theology and ideology is in fact at times and can infect our own hearts. Uh, In Jeffrey Meyer's commentary on Ecclesiastes, which is a wonderful commentary called Ecclesiastes Through New Eyes, A Table in the Mist, He writes, the common thread is escapism. We seek to escape both the problems of this world by denying their reality and escape the pleasures of life by denying their propriety. But the biblical religion is not escapist. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, not to renounce the good things God gives us. On the contrary, these things are to be received with thanks. What I'm saying, what Jeffrey is saying, is that we often fall off the wagon in two different ways. We fall off the sort of legalistic side or we fall off the licentiousness side. Earlier, Solomon confronts the the means by which we seek to manipulate God to give us what we want, either by running from his law in hedonism and lawlessness, or by trying to bribe him through works of supererogation. Lots and lots of obedience in order to try to bring him into our favor, to get him to do what we want, like a genie in a bottle. This is the kind of escapism that we must, we must prevent from rising up in our hearts. 
And so instead of escape, what are we called to do? To embrace it all. To look at it as though we might see the future in this way. We can predict that the sun is going to shine one day and then the rain's going to come another. And all of this is a metaphor for what? Easy times where it's simple to smile and difficult times where we feel like we want to cry. Times of lightness and sweetness, times of darkness and bitterness. I lived for a time in a city in southwest China where the sun almost never shone. It's like Salt Lake City. You have this beautiful mountain range that's in the shape of a horseshoe, but right there at the base of the mountain there is a city, and you get this weather pattern called inversion. And what inversion is is the clouds roll in, and then they cannot escape, and you end up with lots of dreary, overcast days. Now, the city in which I live, you combine that with an enormous amount of coal burning for heat and power, and you get this wonderful mixture of cloud cover and smog so that when you go out and run through the city you enjoy the beauty of the city even though it's quite overcast and you go home and you blow your nose it's just black and gray coming out and there's a saying in that city the dog barks at his own shadow what it means is this he doesn't recognize it and he can't recognize his own shadow because he never sees the sun and there were days having two weeks on end of unceasing, dreary, overcast weather, and then one day the sun comes out. Well, the sun is always there, isn't it? But the clouds roll away, and you walk outside, and you feel different. You are legitimately happier. It's like the birds in the Disney movies are singing and you're just sort of going, why do I feel, oh, it's the sun. This is the concept of which Solomon is speaking. He's talking about something we absolutely understand, that to feel the sun on your face, the warmth and the beauty of it is sweet. But then there are those times in life that are not sweet. They are bitter and they are categorized by darkness. And Solomon is saying this, all of this belongs to God. In fact, at the very beginning of the book, so that we do not miss it, and here he's repeating himself, he says in chapter 3, everything has its time. Now, he is not speaking of the blind hand of fate. He is speaking of the organized providence of God. There's a time to bo- to be born, a time to die, a time to plant. There are all of these times given to men that are part of God's direct, sovereign superintendence over our lives. He says in verse 4 of chapter 3, There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And it is easy for the human heart to want more and more of the laughter and the dancing and the glee and less and less of the sorrow and discomfort and disquiet. In fact, oftentimes what we endeavor to do is eat and drink and sleep our way out of those moments of darkness and despair. Or we write up bad theology that says God doesn't want you to be unhappy. God doesn't want you to have hard times. You need to what? Live your best life now. 
That's an incredibly effective marketing campaign to sell books. The problem is this. Everyone wants that to be true, but all of us know that it is absolutely impossible. We cannot escape the darkness. And if you live long enough, verse 8, if a man lives many years and he rejoices in every single one of those years, part of that rejoicing will be in the midst of darkness. Many times when you come to worship on Sunday, you have buried a friend on Friday or Saturday. There will be many times, young people, as you get older, as I talk to my parents more and more on the telephone, and one's in their late 60s, the other one's in their 70s. I won't tell you which, because you're never supposed to reveal a woman's age. (laughs) But they've lived long enough now that they go to a lot of funerals. And it's still pretty young, but those things will only continue to accelerate. And the Christian can go, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to read about it. I don't want to be exposed to those things. I just want to pretend like life is going to be okay. And Solomon is saying, you fool. Open your eyes and embrace the reality of life under the sun. Because if you spend your life mourning, only mourning in the days of darkness, you will waste your life. And it is here and it is gone. How do we then put these things in perspective? Well, we take the bitter with the sweet. Life is hard, but life is good when lived for the glory of God. And the only comfort for the Christian, the only comfort for any man, is that if we are in Christ and at the end of our lives, we actually get promoted. We leave this life under the sun We are ushered for it is appointed unto man once and to die. And then the judgment, remember this concept of judgment, we're going to come back to it. If we are judged in Christ, we are judged righteous, we are acquitted of our sins, and we go to be with the Lord in paradise forever. And then the new heavens and the new earth, which will one day come. That needs to be always sort of on the back burner of your mind. That's the pot filled with the knowledge that will sustain you in sweet and bitter, light and dark. So how do we keep this from being reduced to some sort of cliche, right? Take the bitter with the sweet. We laugh when times are sweet. We rejoice in God's good providence. And even in times of difficulty, we rejoice. It isn't proper to laugh at a funeral, is it? That's what we want to do. We want to transform that moment of grief. And we want it to always feel like good news. What about the death of an unbeliever? There's nothing good in that. Except what? It always drives us to the cross to drive us to that place of security where Pilgrim laid down his burden and he was able to walk free and walk unencumbered to the celestial city. There is no fairy tale ending in life. Marriage is not a fairy tale. Neither is child rearing. Neither is the next job or the next car or the next thing. And we constantly place those little flags, right? 
If I could just get out of high school and go to college, if I could just get out of college and get married, if I could just get married and then have kids and then get that great job, and then you get there. I remember when I was 14 thinking, I hope I just live to the year 2000. What will it be like to be 20? And then what will it be like to get married? And what I have found that in all of those things, all of the days are essentially the same. Because as an individual that lives before the Lord, my call is to be faithful And I can do that in all manner of circumstances. What it requires me to do is to take up my cross daily, to deny myself, and to follow after the Lord. In fact, as it relates to marriage and having children, young people, marriage is one of the greatest doors to life's greatest happinesses. But it is also, at times, it provides some of the greatest challenges. And then you have children, and you go, what a delight. Look at this beautiful child. And then as they grow older, you think, your soul is so complex. Why are you disobeying? What is your problem? And the Lord is showing you, see? Do you see how you two look alike and how I have over the years had to bear with your own rebellion? And you go, oh, as my mother would say, you pay for your raising." And I've had to pay a lot. (laughs) This is life. And if you try to put the cheat code in, honestly, to where it's always easy, you're going to get bored. (laughs) In this life. Now one day in that sinless new heavens and new earth, it will be quite different. But let us not run from those things. And then Solomon anticipates another argument, that found in the hearts of the young. Those who rush at times to grow up, to act like fools, to think not with their heads, and to walk by the Spirit. He says in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. Second point, start while you're young. One of the principles that I seek to instill in the hearts of uh, these high school senior students that I teach apologetics to is to be prepared for what's next. To have your eyes opened in a safe and friendly, relatively friendly environment, rather than in the midst of the heat of the battle where if you are unarmed, you are defenseless. I tell them you need to know what is coming You need to be prepared. How do you prepare yourself? How do you guard? How do you put on the full armor of Christ? You need to know what is coming. And here Solomon is telling us what is coming. And to me, if I were young and I were to hear the book of Ecclesiastes preached properly, there would be a long gulp at the end of all of that news. What? You mean... All of the things my parents are telling me are right? I thought I could just control-alt-delete if I didn't like what I'm doing. Or I could just sort of escape into the realm of this particular pressure. Or as soon as I don't like something that my parents say, I can just run. To where? What part of the world will you run to 
that plays by a different set of rules than the rules that God has established. What does the psalmist say? Where shall I go to flee from your, from your presence? Shall I go up to the heavens? Shall I go down into the ocean? Shall I go into the earth itself, into the grave? The dead and the living all play by the same set of rules. And what Solomon is saying is this. Learn from your parents' mistakes. Don't learn from your own mistakes. Don't waste your youth experimenting with all manner of ways to try to escape the hard, difficult, slow providence of God. But in your youth, look at this, be cheerful. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways. Kids, why do you look forward to your birthday so much? Slow down. <laughs> because at some point around 35, you're going to go, I'm done celebrating birthdays. I'm done celebrating birthdays. Please, no more birthdays. But you want to be a teenager. And then you want to be a 20-year-old. You want to get out of your teen years. And then you just sort of enter into that middle part of your life where every year follows one after the other. And I look back at my own life and I think, man, did I waste a lot of time. <laughs> if I spent every hour reading a book that I used to play video games in college, I could probably have had three earned PhDs. <laughs> I'm not that smart. But in terms of time... We're talking about an immense reservoir of time. What do you do in your youth? Now, what is often the case is this. You see the looming, pending reality of what we call adulthood. Greater responsibility. And like many people who run for office, when there are problems that they run into, what do they do? They kick it to the next administration. We're going to push that off. We're going to push that off. We're going to push that off. And in many ways, it's easy to push off adulthood. In fact, we have a term for this now. It's not a real thing. It's called adolescence. That is no such thing. That is just a term that people have invented to excuse young men for living in their parents' basement for far too long. Instead, what are we to do? Make the most of the time that you have and be happy with the moment that you are in. Do not long for the days that are in the future so that you are not grateful and squander the days of the present. Now what else does he say? Walk by what is seen and what is in your heart. Now, <laughs> what Disney does is they take verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart, and they don't read the second part of verse 9. God will bring you into judgment. What Solomon is saying is here, as it relates to your decision-making, do not be paralyzed by the fear of missing out on one thing when you choose to go another way. Do not miss out, do not think for a moment that by following after the Lord, you will miss out on the things that your friends are doing according to the way of the world. And go, and then you are stuck 
or you go the way you shouldn't go. There is an element in which you are called to live according to your desires. Now, those desires should be shaped by God's word. But let's take dating and marriage. And I remember when I would sit down with my dad and I would ask him advice about dating and marriage. And it was so obscenely simple, I hated it. And I hated it because it, it didn't help me because I wasn't ready to hear it. And I didn't actually know what he was saying. And then when I met the woman that I wanted to marry, it just went, like the light came on and I went, he's a genius. <laughs> it makes sense. And what he said was this, marry the woman that you love that you can't live without. You know what the problem was? I never met that woman. I never met her. I have met her. I hadn't met her up to that point. (laughs) What he was saying is, walk in the ways of your heart. But you couple that counsel with, but remember this, everything you do is seen and judged by God. Which is, what, what is that exhortation? How does that read? Let's decipher that. May it be righteous. May it be according to the standard of God's law. Now, there are times, young people, where there are decisions that feel to us as though they are absolutely morally on the same plane. This girl, that girl, this boy, that boy, this college, that college, that job, this job. It's the paralyzation of choice. So what do you do? Solomon says, pick one. Pick it. Pick it. Love it, and then do it as under the Lord. You can only walk according to what you see. And so you look, and you go, that's what I want. But the great lie of modern man and of modern culture is this. You can have whatever you want. This is the lie of the lady folly. You can't have whatever you want. And you can't have everything. There are moments where you have to say, I'm going that way. Because that's the way I want to go. It's not sinful. I've heard the counsel of wise men and women. I'm going to move in that direction. And I'm going to go in that direction in such a way that I please God with what I'm doing. Kevin DeYoung has a wonderful book out there called Do Something, Just Do Something. And he wrote it to young people that are paralyzed by this. Have your teenagers been asked by someone, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And you look at them and go, how am I supposed to answer that question? I don't know what I want for dinner. How do I, can I choose a career? And you know what? The people that you ask, that ask that of you, they could not have answered that question at 18. They couldn't have asked that question at 28 necessarily. Everyone that I went to college with that studied engineering, they're not even engineers anymore. They're all managers. You don't know. And so what do you do? You, you first of all, admit and you embrace the reality that life is going to be hard and easy, sweet and dark, or light and dark, sweet and bitter, and that you need to... You need to Go forth in confidence 
living a life before God as judge, not men. And what that will happen, what will happen in verse 10, is you remove sorrow from your heart and you put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. In fact, really, what youth is, is establishing a pattern and trajectory, habits in your life that you will never leave behind as you get older. The most important thing that you can do in your youth is establish habits that will be with you for the rest of your life. Again, counsel that I got from my father that I did not like. Do you know why? Because I wanted to stay a child. And I say this to my sons, the boy in you must die. And when I say the boy in you must die, I'm not saying don't have a cheerful heart. What I'm saying is, you go out and take that for yourself. Don't ask your mom. Don't ask me. You go get that. Go get it. Make it your own. Maybe it's a woman. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a great job. Maybe it's a job that isn't the best job in the world, but it pays the bills, and it sends you home on time. Don't be sorrowful. Don't be paralyzed by an inability to decide what to do. Reject evil. Do you know the most distracting thing in the world that you can engage in when you are young is the idea that youth is the time where you can engage in the flesh and there are no consequences. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And if you sow evil in your youth, guess what you reap in adulthood? Regret. And you can't look at your children in the eyes and say with innocence, do this. Walk in innocence before the Lord. Because what's happening is this. Those days of opportunity, those days of youthful vigor and verve and strength, they're gone. And I guarantee you this, you'll look back and you'll say, I sure am glad I did all of those wicked things. No. You'll go look back at your life and go, why did I waste so much? Why was I so concerned with this thing? Why did I let it so dictate my emotions that I'm out of control? It really is a proverb for the young. And not just for the young in age. But listen... We live in an age now where adults are just as emotionally mature as children. It's, it's astounding. And do you know why? Because they have not learned to eat the bitter with the sweet. They have not learned to rejoice, and they cannot rejoice because they do not see life as a gift from a personal loving God. They see life as a prison sentence oftentimes. And the greatest thing they can hope for is a little bit of pleasure and then death. And I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. And so live in light of that glorious future. Put sorrow away. Leave evil behind. Don't waste your time mourning. Don't waste your time regretting. But move forth in holiness Follow the desires of your heart. Pray that God would so shape your heart that you love what he loves. And then go forward. 
and watch God do incredible things. When I was 22 years old in college, I finally realized I want to go into ministry. I could never have drawn a line from 22 to 42 and said, I'm going to end up in Gastonia, North Carolina. I had no idea. But every day, it led me closer to here. Every day, God was directing my paths, and all I was doing day after day was going, Lord, I'm going to have a good time while we're doing this. I'm going to be faithful today. And what do the scriptures say? Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. That's the kind of compartmentalization that God would have us have. And so, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh because our lives are short. Let's pray.